You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Man, I am so excited to jump into God's Word today. We are going to look at the story of Zacchaeus. Anybody familiar with that story? Yeah, he, he was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up into a sycamore tree for Jesus he wanted to see. All right, now does anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, who doesn't? Raise your hand if you don't know what I'm talking about. All right, yeah, people are like, that guy's rhyming up there. Um, <laughs> back in the day, there was a Zacchaeus song. Love it, love it. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. I love the spirit of transformation when Jesus brings Zacchaeus from death to life. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you to hold the Word of God in your hand. Um, we believe that the Bible is God's Word. Uh, and I have nothing of value to say to you today other than what is in this Word. Um, and so please grab, uh, there's some Bibles in the aisles. Um, and uh, also on your phone, there is an app called the Version Bible app. Um, it's a great app to have on your phone, on the go, uh, so that you could be reading the Bible. There's some reading plans on there. Um, but we want you to hold the Word of God in your hand. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, Luke 19. We're going to start in verse 1. He entered Jericho, talking about Jesus, and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus, he hurries down, and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Has he gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the good news of the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus. So, let's pray. Father, even now, God, just reading this story again, God, I pray that for all of us who maybe grew up with this story, uh, saw our Sunday school teacher put the characters on a whiteboard or a, or a felt board, uh, maybe heard it in passing, or maybe never even heard this story ever before in their lives, God, I pray that your spirit would do only what your spirit can do, but stir affections in our hearts and in our minds for you, to know you, to love you, to know that you have come to seek us, to save us who are lost. God, there is nobody in this entire world that is exempt from your love. And so, God, right now, I pray that you would reveal that 
to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I want, in some ways, I want you to kind of insert yourself into this story because I think sometimes we don't necessarily think of the context of what we are seeing here. Jesus is going around. He had just started his ministry, and he's healing people. He's, he is healing the lame and people who can't see and people who are uh, crippled, and he is uh, healing people with leprosy, and he is inviting men and women to follow him. He, he is calling people and inviting them to follow him as their, their rabbi, their teacher. And he's proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come. And you have this guy, Zacchaeus, who was the chief tax collector. So what does that mean? Well, he would have been somebody who was oppressing the Jews. So he would have been a Jew, and the Romans who were oppressing the Jews would have hired Zacchaeus from the Jews to go out and get taxes from the Jews and bring it back to the Roman Empire. But these um, tax collectors were swindlers, right? Um, they were people who would, would uh, go in and they would say, say um, you owe $100 on your taxes. They would say you own a owe 150 And then they would keep that 50 and give the 100 to the government that you owed. And so they became rich off the backs of their people, right? So I'm thinking like a Tony Soprano kind of guy right? So he's like the head mafia guy. He's the head guy who is oppressing the people in that area. I can see who my, my fans are, right? He starts talking Sopranos, I get some laughs. That's good, right? So, right, he, but he, that's the context of this, and, and he wouldn't have been liked amongst his people. He was Jewish, so he was kind of looked on with a little bit of disdain from the Romans, but at least he was working for them. But he, he really didn't have any friends. He had people that were working under him, and he would have been super wealthy, and he would have had a position of power and prestige, and it would have taken a lot for a man of that stature to want to be, to notice somebody else coming into his town, right? I mean, who is this guy that I've been hearing about, this Messiah, this, this, this guy who's saying the kingdom has come, who's saying he has been the fulfillment of these prophecies that we have seen in our Jewish, you know, laws and stuff? Who is this guy? Now, maybe he felt threatened by him, so he's going to climb up the tree because he wants to get a picture of this guy. Maybe he wanted to, maybe he thought of this as an advancement. Maybe he thought, maybe if I can get in good with this guy, then, you know, if he's, the, if he's ushering in the new world order kind of thing, if he's coming in to take down the Romans, maybe I want to get in good with this guy, right, so that I can keep my position, my place. Who knows what he's thinking, but all I know is that climbing up a sycamore tree because he's too short is not a place of pride. There's this aspect of humility that he has to now climb up this tree just to, just to catch a glimpse of this person, Jesus. And then he catches eyes with this man. Right? Maybe in some ways he was thinking that he was trying to hide or just kind of catch a glimpse and let him go on by. But Jesus looks up, sees him, calls him by name, and invites himself to dinner. So, I want to break down the, the story like this. Here's, this. here's our outline this morning. We look at the humanity of man, humanity of Zacchaeus, our humanity, and then we see this curiosity. And then there's this invitation. And to that invitation, there's a response. To that response, there's this transformation that takes place. And so our main idea this morning, if you're taking notes, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So let's break this down. 
This news that Jesus came to seek and save the lost is radical. This confuses human logic. It messes with the idols that we've formed in our own lives. And so here's his humanity. Zacchaeus, he's putting his hope in his power, in his position, and in his wealth. And then we see this obstacle that's in his way. The crowd is too big. Right? He, in his power, in his prestige, in his wealth, wants to catch a glimpse, but he can't because he's small in stature. He has the power. He has the position. He even has the money. But even for Zacchaeus, someone who feels like they have it all, he doesn't have it all. The crowd is too big. There's this obstacle. And I was thinking this week about what stops my neighbors, coworkers, people around us from believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. What are the obstacles? Is it that the crowd's too big? Right? What are the things that stop them from wanting to catch a glimpse of Jesus? Well, I think first is self-doubt. Right? God doesn't want me. Right? I'm too small. I'm too insignificant. I've messed up too many times. Ever feel that? Doubting yourself. Well, Jesus doesn't want anything to do with me. Why would I even go see who this Jesus is? He's not going to want to be around me. He's not going to want to know me. So we have this self-doubt. It's just another crowd that's too big, an obstacle. Now there's this self-glorification. I don't need God. I made it on my own. Self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. Look at my business. Look at what I've created. Look at my family. My kids are doing well. Self-glorification. I don't need him because I've already built my kingdom here. What about self-gratification? This is the idolatry we're talking about. This, this focus that we have on money in our culture today, safety, protection, health, right? Building our own kingdoms. We live in what, right? We live in this selfie world where we're all about this, right? We could be standing in front of, front of the most majestic set of mountains. I've spent time in the Appalachian Mountains. I've been to the Grand Canyon. Man, what, what are pictures back when I was growing up? You took out a camera, and it was much bigger than this, and then you went like this, and you took a picture of the Grand Canyon. What are pictures today? Right? Who's in the focus of every frame? Me, 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 me. It's all about me. Self-glorification, self-gratification. What I want. My wife and I were joking about one of my daughters the other day. I won't tell you which one. You might know. Um, but you know on Willy Wonka, the uh, little girl that's like, Daddy, I want the golden goose, right? I want it, I want it now. Like that, like that's my kids. And it's me. Self-sabotage. The hidden sin, the habitual sin that we engage with day in and day out. And we don't do what the Bible says, which is to put on our armor and fight these things. But what do we do? We just do it. We receive it. The things that kind of fill the, the temporary hole that we have that just kind of, we feel a little empty, so we're going to go get this, this, and this. And it may be as simple as Netflix, right? Another episode, another episode, another episode. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. C.S. Lewis is an author, writer. He says, it does not matter how small the sins are provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and into the nothing. Murder 
is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. In our humanity, we are born into sin and therefore separated from God. Here's what I want us to know. Because this is our humanity, it is not our identity. Every man, every woman, every child that walks on this earth, that breathes life from conception, is made in the image of God. Our identity is someone who is created in the image of God. Our humanity is sinful. Those are two very different things. And I think sometimes we take that humanity and we make it our identity. But every single person that walks on earth, every single person that breathes life, that has life, that moves, like a child in the womb that sucks his thumb, has been formed by, its, by God's hands in his mother's womb, knit together, the Bible says. So what is this? It's our identity made in the image of the God of all things, the creator of the universe. This is our identity. Why is this important? Why is this so important? Because this image, this identity that we have been given, made in the image of God, creates a curiosity for something more. If our identity, if our identity is a child of God, at the core of who we are, then it leads to curiosity of who God is. Why? Because we were created for him, to worship him, to know him. And so although Zacchaeus had this sinful past, right? Although Zacchaeus was a, was a bad man, most people would say, he didn't, even though he had it all, or he at least thought he did, there was still emptiness inside of him. And that empty, emptiness caused this curiosity of going, I want to see this man who is saying this kingdom has come, this man who, who is saying that there's more to this life than just what I have. And so this curiosity led him up a tree. This kind of shows humility, right? He's admitting, yeah, I'm short. I can't see over the crowd. But it's much deeper than that. There's a recognition in this moment that he realizes that maybe I don't have it all together. Maybe I don't have everything that I need. We all long for something more. I think this is why the culture still looks to the church. And I know that's kind of a weighty statement and everybody's going to be like, no, they don't. No, they do. There are these comments, and if you really listen, people are always looking and watching, wondering what the church is going to do. How is the church going to respond to this? What do, what do leaders or pastors say about this? Now, there are many sinful human beings that call themselves pastors that say things that aren't in here. So I'm not saying that pastors and, and uh, rabbis and teachers all know what they're saying. I'm saying as long as it aligns with this, I'm saying that, that there is, is value and worth and, and hope and truth. And so the, ch the culture is looking to the church to help it understand its identity. And when the church fails to tell the culture who our identity is as children of God— they're going to look towards other things to give them the hope. 
right? So we look towards uh, our health, or we look towards um, our wealth, or we look towards uh, the economy, or we look towards our safety. But when we, church, step up and begin to tell people that there is only one hope, and that hope has a name, and that hope's name is Jesus, then things change. So this curiosity leads Zacchaeus to humility. See, humility is key in relationship with Jesus. In James 4, it says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And so he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And then there's this invitation. I love this invitation. Because it's not this blanket invitation, right? It's not that whoever wants to come can come. Whoever, you know, feels like it, you know, whoever's bored right now, just come on over. He looks at him right in the eyes. And he says, Zacchaeus, by name. He wasn't introduced to him. He didn't know his name. His disciples didn't be like, hey, that's Zacchaeus up in the tree. He knew him because he created him. He called him by name, Zacchaeus. And then I love what he says in verse 5. Look at it. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. That word stay is huge. Mano. I think these translators maybe got the word wrong just the way they are, um, defined it here. Because that word mano in the Greek, you know what that means? Abide. Abide. John 15, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Mano, abide. He says, for I must abide at your house today. Now, now this is huge because, can I take a detour? We good with this? I'm going to detour because I feel like this is really important. Back in the day in history, in this day and age, there's this, this temple that, that people would have seen as the dwelling place of God. Is there, is, do we have a picture of this temple? Um, and, and there were different courts that people were allowed into. So if you were a Gentile, right, you were allowed to be in one court. And then if you were a woman, you were allowed to be in a different court. And if you were a Jewish man, you could be in another court. And then if you were a priest, you could be even closer, all culminating to this holy of holies, the dwelling place of God. Are we following this? Are we tracking so in, in this little space is where either the Ark of the Covenant was or there was something there that symbolized the presence of the Lord, and that's what God filled. Now, only the holiest of holiest of holiest people could enter into that court. Once a year, the high priest on Yom Kippur would tie a rope around their waist. Um, some early church fathers would say they would put some kind of a bell or some kind of thing on them so they would know, and they would have to go through all these rituals to prepare themselves to be holy before they entered into, through the veil, into the Holy of Holies. And they would walk in, and if they didn't do the purification ceremony correctly, and if they had any sin that dwelled within them that they didn't ask for atonement for, they would drop dead instantly. Because they couldn't be in the presence of the Lord with sin. To be in the presence of the Lord, what's required of you is 100% holiness. So even if there was 1%, they would drop dead. That's why they would tie the rope around them because if they dropped dead and the bell went off, they were like, all right, let's pull this guy out because I ain't going in to get him. This is before Jesus died on the cross. Even now, in these words, 
for I must abide at your house today, are showing us why Jesus came, why Jesus walked earth in human flesh, God Almighty in human flesh. Because what happens as soon as Jesus says, while he's taking his last breath on the cross and says, it is finished, breathes his last breath, what happens? The veil is torn. The earth shakes. The veil is torn. What does that mean? That means that no matter whether you're in the court of women or the Gentiles or the Jews or the priests, that now everyone has access to the Holy of Holies. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they can all go into the Holy of Holies, but that the Holy of Holies has bursted out and has come into everywhere and everything that we know. That's why Jesus died on the cross. So in this word abide, it's huge. We can't miss this. That Jesus has come to abide in our house, in here. Church, this is not the church what surrounds us, brick and mortar. This is the church that God has come and paid his life for, that we are the people of God. And so he has come to abide in us. This is the invitation when he bursts forth through the veil and goes to give life to every man, woman, and child. Man, this is the gospel. This is why we're here worshiping this morning. This is why we're raising our hands. This is why we're singing songs. This is why we're playing. This is what we're dedicating people into. The fact that there is a God who loves every single person in this room. No matter what obstacles have sat in your way, no matter how big the crowd is, for every single person in this room, Jesus has burst forth through the veil so that you and I may abide with him. This is the invitation of the beauty of the gospel that he gives every single person. Amen? So, what's the response? Jesus says, make haste. So Zacchaeus says, in a minute. Eh, maybe. No, in haste. He comes down joyfully. Joyfully. I love what D.L. Moody says. Another author, theologian. says, when he went up the tree, nobody in Jericho would have told you that he was a converted man. And yet, when he was a converted man, when he came down, for he received the Lord joyfully. He must have been converted somewhere between the limb and the ground, We don't know his heart. We don't know. We, I know we can talk about when he was converted, but what we know is that joyfully he received the Lord. And in haste he went. I love the fact that the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today. Today is the day of salvation. I think we as, as people have to stop living like we have tomorrow. I think too often we think, oh, there's going to be another day. I'll put that off till tomorrow. Husbands, right? I'll get to that, right? What's the honeydew list that we have, right? Next week, next weekend, I'll start my diet Monday. Man, we have to stop, especially when it comes to our souls in eternity. I mean, we're not talking about a few pounds here. We're talking about eternity. Eternity living with our Creator 
joyfully for the rest of our lives worshiping him or eternity separated from him in a place called hell. This is what's at stake here. And so the response that he has here, he says, make haste, come. So what's required of you? What's required to receive the Lord? Make haste joyfully. Jesus loves you and wants a relationship with you. And he is calling you out of the tree by name saying, come, I want to abide. So what is your response? Now, I think that we can hear that as Christians. For those of you in this room that have maybe grown up in the church or, or are Christian and go, yeah, that's for the non-believers. Mm-mm. That is just as much for you as it is for any non-believer out there. Christians, we have to believe the gospel day in and day out. We have to preach the gospel over ourselves day in and day out because every single day, the devil is hard-pressed after you and he's trying to convince you that what you believe isn't real, isn't true. And we have to stop living like there's a tomorrow. You know what? I'll start that reading plan on Monday. You know, I'm, I'm better at starting things on Monday. You know, I'll, I'll become a person of prayer when I'm older. You know what? My kids are only three, four, five. They're not getting into a whole lot of trouble maybe messing up the pantry every now and again. I'll get on my knees before I go to bed every night when they're older, when they're teenagers. Any parents with teenagers? Who would say it's too late? It's never too late. Wherever you are in your life, whether you are 16 or 60, the Lord is saying, make haste. Receive me joyfully. And when the devil says, hey, there's something over here that's going to bring you more joy than I will, believer, you have to preach to yourself, no, 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 no. There's only one thing I'm going to receive joyfully today. And that's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to go to the word when, when, when the, the bottle's calling, when, when uh, lust is calling, when, when greed is calling. I am going to go to the only source of life, and that only source of life is Jesus. By faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Receive him joyfully. And then there's this transformation. And I want to give us a warning and some clarity here. Because let's look at verses 8 and 9. Probably one of the most debated and I would say misunderstood passages of Scripture. Because when we read it in English, the translation sometimes can uh, not, we don't have as many words in English that means what they mean. And we don't have the same tenses sometimes as they do. Um, Look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Now, if you just read that straight through, it could seem very much so. He says, God, I'm going to do all this stuff for you. Jesus says, Great, now you're saved. That's not what it's saying. We have to understand that is not what it's saying. Works did not bring salvation. Salvation birthed the fruit of works. And so when Zacchaeus received the Lord joyfully, and actually the tense there, there's a, there's a, uh, a bunch of commentaries that, that you can read up on this, that the tenses that are used here is Jesus is actually saying earlier today. That word today was more of a complete today. Not now that you're going to do something about the faith that I've given you, now I'm going to save you. No, no, no. It was 
you have been saved, and now the fruit of righteousness is being birthed out of your life and coming forth in your life through the fruit of my Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus isn't manufacturing or mustering up fruit. No, the Spirit of God who is now dwelling within Zacchaeus is birthing fruit so that the world may see. And so there's a transformation that takes place here in every person who receives the Lord joyfully. There is a transformation that takes place. For some, it's a little bit more gradual than others. Everybody has a different trajectory that the Lord has bringing them on, a different story, a different path. But as long as it's through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, we are all headed towards the throne room of God and we're going to be worshiping in eternity with God. But for some of us, there may be some speed bumps that we hit along the way. I know for me, I hit probably a lot more than some of you. The Luke 6.44 says, A tree is known by its fruit. What's the fruit that, that we see here in Zacchaeus' life? Generosity and restitution. Right? He has all this money, all this wealth. He doesn't even know what to do with his money. And he's going, I'm just going to give half of it to the poor. I don't need it. I've wronged a lot of people to get where I am. I'm going to give it back fourfold. Generosity. Restitution. What about you? What fruit does the Lord want to bear in you? See, when we say Jesus is my Lord and Savior, what are we saying? Well, Savior means he saved me from my sins. Absolutely. He's the only way that you can be saved from your sins. What about Lord? Lord means I will follow you. So, when Jesus says, believe and be baptized, are we going to be baptized? Or are we going to drag our feet on it? Are we going to say, well, I don't really know enough about it? Right? Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, they're driving along, and, and he goes, you know, you have to believe and be baptized. He's like, what's stopping us from stopping the carriage right now? Jumping out and getting baptized. He's like, nothing. So he baptizes him. For those of you that have professed faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, baptism is a beautiful declaration of an inward faith. Baptism doesn't save you. A work cannot save you. But what it is is an outward expression of an inward faith. It's one of our first acts of obedience as a believer. What about when the Bible says run from, flee from sin, habitual sin? Do we run from sin? Or do we entertain it for a little bit? Kind of play around with it dab our foot in it a little bit, right? See if the water's warm or cold. Or do we run from it and flee from it like the Bible says? Have you set up intentional tools to fight the schemes of the devil? Have you began to memorize scriptures so that when the devil begins to tempt you, you have some, some, some ammo in your gun? Husbands, have you laid down your wife for your laid down your life for your wife? Wives, have you submitted to your husbands? The Bible says, do not lie, do not steal, do not lust, do not harbor anger. I mean, have you prepared to fight for the holiness of the Lord? Or are you just going to roll over on your back like a little puppy, your tail tucked between your legs? Because for the most part, what I've seen many believers doing is that. His sin comes knocking and they just roll over and say, oh, I give up, I give in. Or are you preparing yourself, believer, who says he is my Lord and my Savior to fight when the devil comes? Because he will come, that is a promise. 
So when he comes, have you prepared to fight? But, but where does this kind of cross the line between like moralism and legalism? Listen, when we take our eyes off the creator and begin to focus on the fruit for our worth, that's when it becomes legalism and moralism. As long as our eyes are fixed and focused on Jesus, the fruit that God bears in our life is his fruit. It is perfect fruit, right? We're not talking about putting on a mask. We're not talking about taping fake fruit to your tree. We are saying as you press into the things of Jesus, he will bear fruit in your lives. But when you begin to look at the fruit as your worth, when you begin to look at the fruit as I've arrived, I've done it, I've accomplished it, that's when it turns into moralism and legalism. We have to be very careful of that. There is nothing, no amount of fruit that you can bear that will save you, right? Because non-believers, people who do not profess Jesus as the Lord and Savior, can do good things. They can give to the poor. They can, they can start organizations that help tons of people. But without Jesus, they have no hope. And their fruit is worthless. God's given us a spirit. He's placed inside every single person who calls on the name of the Lord. So let's fight. Let's fight like he's called us to fight in Scripture. Why? Because he has come to seek and save those who are lost. I think the first step is admitting you're lost. We live in a culture that's going to tell you you're not lost. You're a good person. Stay above the 51% mark. And you, you got it. You can get into heaven just being 50% better than everybody else around you. And that's not hard. It's really not hard. Come on. I can do that. I can do that in my sleep. Just that thought. It's pride welling up, making me think that I can do this. I've earned it. I've accomplished it. No, no, no. Jesus has come to seek and save that which was lost. He has called you by name to abide in your house. Receive him with joy. Let's pray. Father, as I read through these stories that we've been reading in this series, everyone, these stories where you personally encounter people, I am so humbled, God, to begin to see my story in light of their story, to see the areas of my life where I've allowed pride to well up, where I've created all these excuses and filled my life with all these things that have caused me not to receive you joyfully day in and day out. So God, as we sit before you right now, God, this is a moment where the devil is going to be hard at work. This is where the devil is going to begin to try to distract us with, with it's too hot in here, it's too cold in here. You're hungry. You're, I don't like the shoes that this guy's wearing. Whatever it may be, God, that, that these distractions that, that, that come into our minds, this chair is uncomfortable. Oh, I've got to get home and I've got to do these tasks and these things and, and I've got to make this phone call. God, 
Help us right now just sit and rest and listen to you. God, you want to do a work in every person's life in here. For every person that's watching at home, God, you want to do a work. All of our anxieties, all of our fears, all of our addictions, all of our selfishness, all of our pride, God, you want us to take that and lay it at your feet. And you want your spirit that dwells within us to begin to stir in us this joy, this affection, this life inside of us that can only be explained by the beauty of your gospel. And so God, right now, do that work. Do that work in me. Do that work in my wife. Do that work in our leaders. Do that work in our church. And every visitor that's with us, do that work, God. And if there is someone here today that has never felt you or seen you, look up at them and call them by name and say, make haste, come, I want to abide in your house. God, speak that word to them right now. That they will climb down the tree and receive you joyfully. God, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.